Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, last night, my wife and I went out to dinner. Of course, it gets dark so early Mm -hmm. that... A couple getting dark so early. We went up to a restaurant in downtown Port Washington. I love Port Washington. Wonderful downtown area. But the streets are snow-covered. There are inches of snow. You, when you get out of the car, if you park on the street, you climb over like a mini snowbank to get to the sidewalk to walk. You've got to kind of shuffle around because the roads are snow-covered and slippery. Honest to goodness, it was like going out in the middle of January. It was yeah. like, last night was like it, it's like you would expect on a Tuesday night in January. You know, it's funny because usually when you start seeing the Christmas trees and you hear the holiday music and the commercials and all that, you're like, oh, it's too soon for this. But now with the snow on the ground, it actually seems kind of normal. Well, it, well, it, and it's what is this? We're talking. It's like November seventh or something, and I'm thinking, I, I just. I, I mean, I understand it's Wisconsin, and I understand it's too early to be whining about the weather, but it's also way too early to have, you know, and you look at the 10-day forecast, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. Yeah, You're no, talking about be. single digits and things like that. It's going to be rough next week. Hey, I do have an update, by the way. We were talking about some of the traffic situations. This one is in Washington County now, Jeff, 41 southbound. We have uh, witnesses on the ground there. This is near Highway K. Um, that this could be bad. It sounds like three semis involved. They expect heavy lane closures in that area. Again, this is 41 southbound Washington County, right around Highway 33. So that's Ellington in that neighborhood. Uh, so we'll be back with more details as soon as we get it. But it sounds like this could be a pretty nasty one. We'll do it. Of course, yesterday we had the horrible thing on on night on. 43 northbound and on Highway 33, where you had the fatality that was there as well. All right, we'll continue to keep you updated on that. All right, a, a listener, a listener sent me a little reference, and I, I'm going back about oh, a year and a half ago. This is this is from March of 2018. A go man who was the former chief of the Tishigan Volunteer Fire Department ended up reaching a plea deal with authorities. He had been accused of misappropriating more than $20,000 in fire department funds. Now, this is this is a, a little tiny volunteer fire department, right? And the guy's the volunteer fire chief. He had been charged with, you know, felony counts in connection with this. And the bottom line is he ended up pleading no contest to misdemeanor. So they cut up a plea deal on this. But, but here's the story. Apparently, um, they started doing an audit of, of the records from this volunteer fire department. And what they determined was that over, well, over the better part of, of a year, well, actually, maybe going back two years, what happened is this guy was misappropriating, that's a nice way of saying stealing, money from the volunteer fire department and using it for personal expenses. Um, I'm looking at a couple. August 13th, 2013, $6,300 paid to a tire shop. September, $2,800 paid to a tire shop. Uh, several of the monies was funneled for 
Um, apparently, this was for like extensive repairs that were being done on the guy's personal vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. In any event, what happened is they, they caught him. He was charged with a felony. He ended up uh, reaching a plea agreement, pled guilty to a number of misdemeanors, and was ultimately put on probation in order to pay the money back. Okay, so that's how that was handled. Greendale has handled something in a different way. Now, this story has been in the news for about the last week or so. The initial reports were that the superintendent of schools from Greendale had, had resigned, right? Had resigned suddenly. Well, now it comes out, the reason why he resigned is he resigned because apparently over a 16-month period that started in February of 2018 and ran through June of this year, he was using his Greendale-issued credit card to charge all sorts of personal expenses for home improvements as well as travel expenses for family members. The charges totaled almost $10,000, $9,962.50. Among the charges, let's see, a couple bills from Macy's at Mayfair Mall, one 469 bucks, one $287, a $2,073 expense to Casio Interstate Music Store in New Berlin in December of last year, Four separate line items for to heating and air condition heating and air conditioning company totaling fifty three hundred dollars or a little bit more in less than a month from April to May of twenty nineteen and an eight hundred and fifty five dollar bill for Delta Airlines in June. So he's using the district card credit card, which is supposed to be, of course, used for you know, legitimate business type of expenses, and he's using it for personal expenses to the tune of almost $10,000. The school board said that, well, what we decided to do is we want we want to be reimbursed. You know, we, we want the money back. And so they say that they viewed reimbursement as the best option to recover taxpayer dollars rather than seek criminal charges. So it wanted to take Quick action is what it says. So in other words, you have somebody, an employee, who steals almost $10,000 worth of government funds over a period of time. It's not an isolated thing. It's over a period of time. And Greendale decides we're not going to pursue criminal charges. Now, I contrast that with the story, again, I started off with. You have a guy who's... All right, uh, the, the chief of a tiny volunteer fire department who does essentially the same thing, steals a little bit more money over a little bit longer period of time. But but again, it, it's the same underlying crime. And they were the, what they do is they the authorities there, they, they, they turn him in and he is prosecuted and he's ordered to pay back the money as well. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand and appreciate that it is important for the taxpayers to be made whole. I, I get it. You want the money paid back as quickly as possible. I understand that. But at the same time, at the same time, when you are talking about a public employee who has allegedly stolen $10,000 approximately over a period of time, can you simply let them walk away? Should Greendale have referred this matter to the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, 
to the, I don't know, to the, the State Department of Justice, should there have been criminal charges accompanying the need to pay this back? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is an unequivocal yes. I mean, look, I, I understand. I understand the need to try to be reimbursed. I get that. But you know what? If you would have... I don't know, reached into the till at a gas station in Greendale and stolen money out of that till, not anywhere close to nine or ten grand. My guess is the business owners would have referred you for prosecution. But you're the superintendent of schools and you get to walk away with no criminal referral? It doesn't feel right to me. 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls before. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. The former school superintendent in Greendale had a base salary of $160,000. His benefit package was worth about another 26000 So he's pulling in salary and benefits in the neighborhood of $185,000 from the taxpayers in Greendale. He is also systematically, at least according to the allegations, stealing from the taxpayers by using a district credit card to charge personal expenses. Not once, not twice, not, hey, I, I mistakenly pulled out my credit card, uh, this this state credit card at, uh, at dinner. No, this was a system. Systematic and clearly, at least it certainly appears, intentional use to defraud, again, the taxpayers of Greendale. They've caught it. They've fired him, and he's presumably promised to pay back the money. But where is the penalty? Where is the deterrent? Why would you not refer this matter to for criminal charges? Wayne and Franklin. Wayne, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank hey, you. Uh, we, years ago, we had the same type of case. It was 8988 in uh, Franklin. The superintendent school district basically did the same thing, and they did charge him. I know he went to House of Correction for 30 days, and then he had to wear an ankle bracelet. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand, basically, what does this teach these kids in Greendale? They're basically, there's no penalty for a crime? Well, I, I mean, that, that's it. I mean, and plus, you know, where is where is the deterrent? I mean, because here, here's essentially what's happened. Assuming these allegations are correct, the guy was systematically stealing money, thousands of dollars from the taxpayers in Greendale, and he gets caught. Well, yeah, he loses his job, and, you know, presumably he agrees to pay back the money, but th- that's that's not much really of an incentive. You don't steal or you're going to get you're going to lose your job if you got caught. I mean, there doesn't there have to be some penalty on top of that for this much money? Well, I think they should, and I don't understand when they give them a credit card like that, they don't have like a two-party authorization. I, that that is, I think, also Wayne, an incredibly fair question that that you could do something like this and get away with it for like a year and a half. You would think at some point in time there would be some internal control, some auditor, something saying, "Hey, I'm I'm just kind of curious this this charge at at Cassie, uh, Casio Interstate Music Store for two thousand bucks." What, what exactly, what school purpose was that for? I, I, that you would think that that would be a fair question to ask. Well, exactly. No, I'm, th- thanks for the call. Now, I mean, I understand some of the, okay, so, I mean, there was an $855 bill for Delta Airlines in June. Okay, maybe that one's, because, I mean, presumably, that's what I would expect. 
you know, your district credit card would be used for, it would be used for travel expenses, you know, airfare if you're going to a conference and hotels and things like that. That that might be easier to hide. But it's also very clear that in Greendale, there at least for a period of time, there wasn't anybody that was watching the, the store. But But be that as it may, be that as it may, it's perfectly reasonable to demand that the money be paid back. But to not also say, we want the authorities to look at this. And I'm not saying the guy needs to go to prison necessarily for 10 years or anything like that. In the example I gave earlier, the guy from uh, McGuanago, he, he, he got probation. Okay, I don't, I don't know if there was time in the House of Corrections or, or whatever attached to that, but there was some penalty. Here's a text, Jeff. This makes me angry on so many levels. I am a former school board president of a Waukesha County school district. Our school board worked very hard to lower taxes year after year and remain conservative, yet it's often difficult for school boards to ever be looked upon positively. Um, and then... This is his comment, not mine. These idiots in Greendale do this. My blood is boiling over only for not only for the reputation of those districts that have school boards that work hard for the taxpayer, but also for the wasted opportunity to make an example out of this guy. Hope the district attorney files charges anyways, which is. I mean, that that is always the possibility that's there. Now, here's another text, Jeff. The reality is that um, most companies that find embezzlement do not press charges not excusing them not doing it it is the reality now i don't know about that one way or the other there there may be circumstances where you, you just you want the employee gone and as a as a just as a function of all right we're going to fire you you know you agree to pay back this money and we're not going to bring it to authorities maybe that happens maybe it doesn't i think part of it probably depends on how long it went on and also how much money ended up getting taken but in this case we are not talking about employees of private companies we are talking about highly paid high profile you know, public representatives, public employees. And, and I think when you have that happen, to simply say, all right, you've been doing this. And I don't know this guy from Adam. I don't know if he was doing a great job. I understand there's been some controversies, you know, in Greendale. I, I don't know if he was doing a great job or not. What I know is that if you catch somebody stealing thousands and thousands of dollars of public money, simply saying, okay, you're out of here and we hope you pay this back quickly, that doesn't seem to me to be anywhere near close enough to a sufficient penalty. And it pretty much invites other people to, again, try to steal, in this case, from Greendale, thinking, well, all right, if I get away with it, I get away with it. And if I get caught, I, I lose the job. And I don't want to lose the job, but nothing else is going to happen to me. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. When I was a kid, I remember one of the big controversies involved lowering the voting age from 21 to 18. And this was during the Vietnam War, for example. And the argument, which was a a pretty compelling argument to me at least, and this is kind of before my time, but it was, look, look, if you're old enough at the age of 18 to be drafted into the military and to be sent overseas and to put your life on the line, well, you should be old enough to vote. And I always found that to be a, a pretty kind of compelling argument because for most things in this world, the, the age of adulthood is 18. The exception 
being, or at least the major exception being, you can't drink until you're 21. We'll probably get into a discussion of that as, as an ancillary to what we're going to talk about now. But but it always made sense to me. If you're old enough to serve in the military, old enough to be drafted, old enough to get sent to Vietnam, you are old enough to have a vote. And, and ultimately now, 18-year-olds can vote. There's all sorts of other things that you can do at the age of 18 as well. Not only can you vote, you can get married without your parents' consent. That's a pretty big sort of thing. You can serve in the military, you can enlist in the military, like I say, at the age of 18, and you can enter into contracts. You can make all sorts of decisions that are going to affect you for the rest of your life. One of the things that you can also do at the age of 18 in Wisconsin is that you can buy tobacco. Now, I am I am a non-smoker, right? I don't think people should smoke. I think, you know, in a perfect world, I think it's a it's an expensive habit. I think it um, is a harmful habit. I I I'm not a smoker, so I I encourage people not to smoke. All right, but at the same time, it's a decision that adults make. All right, there is a movement in the legislature that, by the way, this is unlike a lot of stuff. It has bipartisan support. Legislators from both parties are seeking to raise the legal limit to buy tobacco and vaping products from 18 to 21. Now, I don't want to talk about vaping at the moment. I I just want to talk about the basic idea of raising the legal age for buying tobacco from 18 to 21. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I view this not as somebody who thinks it's a good idea for people who are 18 years old or 28 years old, or 48 years old, or 68 years old, to smoke cigarettes. Don't, don't think that that's a good idea. If you were to call me up and say, Jeff, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about starting smoking. What do you think? I would probably have a little bit of a dialogue telling you, I, I think that that's probably a bad decision. At the same time, once you are 18, in my mind, you are an adult, and you have the right to make these decisions for yourself, including decisions that I might think or somebody else might think is bad. All right, so let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would oppose, on principle, efforts to raise the law from buying for buying tobacco from 18 to 21. Tobacco is a legal product. And as a result, I think that once you become an adult, and you are an adult for almost all purposes at the age of 18, I think you should have the right to purchase that legal product. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, before we go back to the show and take your calls, Eric Bilstadt, traffic update. Yeah, WTMJ, Pella, WDI.com, time saver traffic alert. Thank you, uh, Jeff. 41 southbound remains shut down in Washington County. This is just south of Highway 33, so you're getting off at Highway 33. You're going to start seeing delays. Semi-crash, southbound lane shut down, 41, again, just south of Highway 33. We'll get you an update at 1 o'clock. Thank you. Good enough. Hey, looking for somewhere else? I'm sorry, The vet. this Veterans Day, you can make a difference. Join John Mc- 
Cure and Stars and Stripes Honor Flight for WTMJ Cares Operation Glory to help send our brave men and women to Washington, D.C. Each year, Stars and Stripes Honor Flight sends thousands of veterans to the nation's capital. Now is your chance to help get them there. WTMJ Cares Operation Glory wants to send a plane full of veterans on one of these amazing trips to donate or to learn more about our latest WTMJ Cares initiative, please go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and is brought to you by Carrick Homes. Okay, 414-799-1620. And please, don't, don't misunderstand my position on this topic. I, I'm not saying I think it's a good idea for 18-year-olds to buy tobacco. I'm just saying, on principle, I think it is a bad idea for the legislature to make it illegal for adults, and that's what you are for all intents and purposes at the age of 18, to make it illegal for you not to be able to buy tobacco. Let's start with Lloyd in Greenfield. Lloyd, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. hi um, yeah, I guess I agree with you. Basically, the if you're, if you're legally adjudged to be an adult, for whatever purpose, then you should be an adult for all purposes. Yep. And uh, that, that, I, I don't understand how we were ever able to get to the point where legislatures in, in various states and so on decided, no, you're an adult for this, but you're not an adult for that. Now, I don't necessarily agree that 18 is the right age, but that's irrelevant. The right. point is, if it's been decided you're an adult, then you're an adult for everything, and that's Alcohol, tobacco, contracts, marriage, et cetera, et cetera. It should also be you know, in, in the military. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it, all that stuff. I no, I think they see that that and that that's my point. And yes, a number of people are asking me, does that mean you think the drinking age should be eighteen? Yeah, I've, I've articulated that before. I I think that when I turned eighteen, the drinking age was eighteen. And I, I mean, I I understand and I understand the arguments about you know increasing it to twenty one. And I, I don't want to refight that battle. But yes, I I believe the drinking age should be eighteen. I think if you're an adult, you should be an adult for all purposes. Intellectually, it makes no sense to me to try to say, okay, for most things, you're an adult. We think your brain is developed enough to get married. We think your brain is developed enough and you're mature enough to decide if you want to go join the military, but we don't think your brain is developed enough to decide if you want to have a cigarette. It just makes no sense to me. Jeff in Brookfield. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I would agree with you. I think that uh, the legislature should be doing other things that are more important rather than dealing with uh, issues like an 18-year-old and trying to legislate their lives. Um, you know, they they can make those decisions. Unfortunately, some of them are going to be wrong. I was 18 when I was able to make a decision to drink or not. I chose to drink, and and that was my choice. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, right, there, there's, all sorts of, there's all sorts of decisions that people end up making, including you know, some potentially bad decisions that are, that are out there. But that's all part of kind of like the live and learn sort of thing. What, I just don't get why you can be an adult for one purpose and not be an adult for other purposes. I agree. Now, thanks to call, 414-799-1620. Uh, Jeff, if 18-year-olds are not old enough to make a conscious decision about smoking or vaping, then how can these individuals be old enough to vote and decide who the next leaders of our communities and country are going to be? Kind of ironic in my mind. Yeah, that's... That's the point that that I, I make about this. We we say you 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 can make 
decisions that will affect you for the rest of your life at 18 because we assume that your brain is developed enough and you are mature enough. Now, again, you, you can argue whether maybe 18 is too young. If, if you want to have that discussion that, no, you should be an adult, you know, you, you should we should consider you an adult at the age of 20 or, or 21 or 19, you know, whatever that magic number is. Then, but I think you have to be consistent, and I think you have to say, okay, we're going to do this, and this is going to apply to you know everybody. You're either an adult or you're not. Jeff, this is a terrible idea. It treats 18 to 21 year olds who are encouraged to work, vote, fight for their country as people incapable of making basic life choices, and it won't even reduce youth smoking rates. Um, for all this coddling of young adults, raising the smoking age won't do anything to reduce smoking rates among actual adolescents. That. That's the other interesting thing here, because the law doesn't make it illegal to smoke. The law makes it illegal to purchase tobacco products across the board. So theoretically, you could you could still smoke if you chose. But again, it's it's more on principle. And the whole issue of vaping, I, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't know enough about vaping. And that I understand that that's the, the hot issue nowadays. And people are debating, you know, do you go ahead with, a, you know, is vaping worse than cigarette smoking? Is it better than cigarette smoking? I, I, I don't know. I don't take a position on any of that. I just I always cringe when I see these issues where we're going to try to define people. And we're going to say, OK, for some purposes, you're a grown up. For other purposes, you are not a grown up. I candidly think, you know, if you wanted to say there, there's decisions that are going to have an even greater impact on your life long term. I mean, look, look at, should we let 18-year-olds get married? I mean, that, that's the type of thing. Should we let 18-year-olds sign up for the military? As long as we do that, I, I think it's very, very difficult to say you're not able to have a cigarette. This is Jeff Wagner, back with more in just a moment. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I have a confession to make. There are reasons occasionally why I can't have nice things because I, I tend to break them. There's also reasons why I need to have lots of friends because every once in a while... I, I say or do things, particularly in this job, that irritates some of my my friends, and then you know it, it just makes dinners and stuff more awkward. This is going to be one of those topics. Now, let me kind of back into this. Well, I'm going to start off by saying what I'm saying. I think that in this area we are grossly overbuilding apartments. It seems like every time you turn around, there is a new housing development, sometimes two or three on top of each other, that are being built. In large measure, they're being built because the local communities have decided what we'll do is we're going to give really sweetheart deals to these developers. Um, we're going to sell them land for almost nothing. We're going to put in all these amenities. And, and it's kind of done on the promise that then these developers are going to come in and they're going to build the, these massive projects and it's going to be, be great. Now, we, we've seen how... That hasn't worked out so well, for example, in the city of Milwaukee with the Couture project where it's been stuck in the mud, literally and figuratively, because the developers, despite getting a sweetheart deal, 
of uh, the property prime near lakefront the development they, they haven't been able to get conventional financing they can't come up with enough money to even get a government guaranteed loan which tells you that the private sector doesn't want anything to do with this you saw this in port washington where there was this developer that came in got a sweetheart deal on purchasing a bunch of land and then goes back to port washington and says well I, unless you give me you know extra x number of million dollars more i I'm not going to be able to go ahead with the project as outlined because, well, I'm having trouble getting financing. Port Washington said no. Now, what got me started on this is it just seems like every time I I turn around, there's a new housing project that's going up. There is a story, for example, in today's Journal Sentinel, 137 apartments. Public Park approved for Brown Deer's original village neighborhood. This is kind of off of of Brown Deer Road, um, closer closer to the freeway uh, than it would be to Northridge. But but this is the area. Here's the story: a proposal to build two four story apartment buildings and a public park in the center of Brown Deer's original village neighborhood has received the green light from officials. It's part of a revitalization of the neighborhood that will include another apartment complex, a new village-owned park and community building, new library, shipping container park that could be developed as a recreational area later. The apartment buildings would include 133 units, along with four three-story townhomes on the former site of the Brown Deer Public Works Department. There's a story behind that as well. There's also some houses in the area that Brown Deer is going to have to pay to move. All right, now the interesting thing about this is that it's it's not just this one structure and this one unit that's being built because there's another developer that's already announced plans to build an additional number of apartments um, again literally around the corner right across the street from where these these apartments are going. And in the interest of disclosure, I, I know a guy who's, you know, one of the investors in that second set of apartments. And my conversation with him is, okay, where 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 are the tenants going to come from for for all these new apartments that are being built? They're gonna have a total of like three hundred units in, in this relatively confined area in, in Brown Deer. And I'm told, oh don't worry about that, there'll there'll be plenty. Now, the same thing is playing out a little bit further north in Mequon. If you have been on Mequon on Port Washington Road, on Mequon Road and just to the west of 76th Street, there's these massive complexes that are going up there. They've got this kind of public market thing, which is all well and good. They've got luxury apartments that aren't close to being filled that they've now built on the north side of the road on the opposite side of the road they're building in another number of enormous apartments and you talk to the public officials in Mequon and they say oh don't worry there's going to be demand now this is playing out in Menominee Falls it's playing out all over the area where you see all these different apartments that are going up And, and my question and again, they're they're going up because the communities desperately want the tax base. We we want to have more people move in. We want to have more people paying taxes, etc. And I get it. At the same time, don't you have to be realistic? as to where people are going to live. And I I mean, I, I look at the boom that's going on in downtown housing, at least in some areas where you have people that are moving from the suburbs into downtown, and so you've got that boom that's going on. And now you see in a number of the suburbs, you have one 
new housing development after another, all rental, all, the majority of which are, are rental units that are popping up. They, they want to do this at the Bayshore. This is part of the Bayshore plan as well. You know, we're going to have condos and townhouses, and we're going to have apartments as well. At, at some point in time, and, and maybe we've already passed that, aren't we at a point where we say that this is just all pie in the sky? There, there's not enough people to support you know, this type of housing. And when I've raised that with people, people say, oh, don't, you don't understand, Jeff. You, you can put as many apartments as you want in Brown Deer. People want to move to Brown Deer. Really? Jeff, you don't understand that. You can put as many apartments as you want in, in Mequon. They'll, they'll fill up. People want to move to Mequon. Really? Jeff, you don't understand. You can put as many apartments as you want down in that new Bayshore complex. People want to live there. Really? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is kind of a broader question, but maybe you've seen this in, in your community. Are we overbuilding? Are we overbuilding? And are these various communities that, again, are, are so desperate for people the idea is here, we're, we're going to cut all these sweetheart deals for developers, we're going to create all these TIF districts, and we're, we're just going to, what's the thing from Field of Dreams, we're going to count on the old thing that if, if you build it, they will come. Well, all right, at some point in time, there's not enough they to fill up these buildings. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Dusty in Burlington. Dusty, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you today? Good. What do you think? Well, I think it's uh, a lot of these millennials. They prefer the apartments over than owning a home these days. These apartments have all these stores in them where it's convenient to shop and such. And it's also senior citizens who want to sell their houses, but they have nowhere to go. So it's not a big hit right now, but I think in a few years it's going to play out and it's much needed space. Uh, I guess the, the question becomes, what happens if these places, what happens if these, these, these buildings stay vacant for a couple, couple years? Um, is well, that, I'm not, I'm not sure if they are uh, going to stay vacant. Like you said, it's, uh, it's overbuilding. Yep. But on the same note, we're also overpopulated. I think they will be needed. Okay. Thanks for the call. Well, I mean, it, it, I, I, you know, it, it, it always used to be that you'd, you know, and I understand some of these developers, they're, they're out there. And, and what happens is it's kind of like the old monorail episode of The Simpsons. Simpsons that You know, they, they come to the local communities and they say, okay, we've got the monorail for you. Here, give us the deal. Create this district. Give us the, the land for dirt cheap. You know, give us the TIF district, etc. And we're going to build this up. And then you're going to have this flood of people that are coming in. You know, maybe. I, I mean, maybe I'm just looking at all this housing that's going up all over, and I'm wondering seriously who who is it that's going to who is it that's going to live in these places, and or alternatively, are we creating these things that are just going to be like testaments to our hubris of these communities, thinking that that people are going to flood in? I mean, how much? high-end apartments, you know, are you going to be able to fill in Brown Deer? Seriously. And I don't mean to knock Brown Deer, but really? Debbie in Sussex. Debbie, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Welcome to beautiful, small-town Sussex. Right. Um, Same thing is going on. They are building these three-story monstrosities, tearing down beautiful old, um, the old charm houses that we all call them, that people were living in, and they're tearing all of those down at this, and building all these huge apartments. 
and they're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the question is, okay, so you're talking about, you know, you're, you're doing that in Sussex. I know they're doing it in Menominee Falls. I know they're doing it in Mequon. They're doing it in Brown Deer. At some point in time, I, I just, I, I legitimately wonder who, who is going, who's going to fill the, these spaces? And, and some of the apartment complexes that they built, they're not filling. You know, that, that to me would be an indication that maybe the community should put a break on some of this stuff until they make sure that the, that the apartment buildings that they already have are, are filling up and the other thing is the infrastructure around here won't handle this i mean they can't put that many cars and that much right on the roads around here right yeah you 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 do have that congestion there now th- thanks for call um here's a text jeff there's a terrible sen- saturation out here the face of mequon has changed terribly we live right across from spur 16 that's where the um like the, the public market is there are many of us who tried to talk to the mayor in this group and it was just too many in a relatively small area of mequon well that's I mean, you, you you turn around, it's just one giant housing complex after another, and I just, I, I'm looking at this, and I guess what really did get me started is this Brown Deer story, where you have like one apartment complex going up on top of another apartment complex, and I'm legitimately thinking, where, who's going to fill these? Okay, we continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so Brown Deer, you've got the Brown Deer Village Board that just signed off giving a developer about $7 million over a period of years to help underwrite the cost of this, these apartment buildings, buildings they want to put up, 137 units. All right, literally around the corner from these 137 units, there's another development that's going to open in the spring that's going to be 175 units, apartment complex. Okay, so that's, that's 300 apartments in a relatively confined area. Uh, again, th- that's being underwritten in part by the, the taxpayers. Now, uh, all right, you, and again, the village manager, oh, this is great. You know, we're going to have this huge concentration of people, and it's going to have this huge revitalized nightlife area. Oh, okay. Well, just a couple miles to the north, Mequon is doing the same thing. You have this Spurs 16 development, and you have these, these giant apartment complexes that are going up. One that's up now isn't close to being rented. And, and so, but it's like, no, no, don't worry. You know, more people are going to come in. If you build it, they will come. And we're getting, you know, calls from people talking about they're doing this in Sussex. They're doing this in Menominee Falls. At some, I, I get it. It's it's this, the, the municipalities want this to happen desperately. But at some point in time, don't we have to be reasonable and really ask this question, where are these people going to come from that are going to patronize this? So they're going to live here. And, and how many people are there really? Kathy in Milwaukee. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Kathy. How are you, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I was um, talking to your screener about if they had, like, if they're going to build apartments and things, like if they had more low-rent apartments that people could, you know, that could afford to, like, live in apartments like that. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of um, options for people that, you know, are retired, don't make a lot of money or, you know. Are living on a way fixed income that would help them out, but but that's not what these apartments are being built on the premise. The the, the premise the, the, we're not talking about at least as it's drawn up. We're not talking about low income housing, which you know raises you know all sorts of other issues. You know one one way or the other. But that that's not supposedly what this is. These are these developers are saying you know we're going to be charging you know a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a month for these various units and all. And I I guess I just don't see where the people are going to come from. Right. 
Yeah. No, thanks. I, no, it, I just thought it would, you know, that would help help a lot of people out. But. Well, right. I mean, thanks. For, I mean, again, that's the, I mean, that that raises that whole other issue. And I, that is the other thing that's out there is that, all right, you, you put out these apartments, you're not able to rent them at the rates that you promised because there's not enough people there. It is then the next step to say, okay, well, now we're going to look for alternatives. We're, we're going to try to, you know, get, you know, some sort of subsidized sort of housing, at which case, and you can argue the merits of that or, or not. But that's not the way these units are being sold, and that's a whole different story if you say to the community, okay, well, now we're, we're doing the subsidized housing type of thing. 414-799-1620, let's talk to Pete in Waukesha. Hi, Pete. Hello. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Waukesha in the, in the area of White Rock Avenue and Moreland, East Moreland Boulevard. Uh, that's kind of down, uh, that's downtown, right, sort of? Yes, just a little bit north of downtown, okay. but uh, a, bo- a bowling alley burned down there a couple of years ago. And the empty lot sitting there. They've now decided or are talking about it seriously that they want to put in two apartment buildings. One there on that spot, which would be on the west side of White Rock. And on the other side is an east side, going to, uh, east lot. They're going to put up another one, which is going to come out to between two and 300 apartments. Where are the cars going to go? That's a very, very inter, uh, busy intersection. Yeah, and, and and again, where are the people going to come from too? For for those, yeah. I mean, that those are pretty big. You're, you're not talking about, hey, this is this is twelve or thirteen units. You're talking about like three hundred units. You said, I guess that's what it was going to be up to three hundred. Wow, units, yeah, depending <laughs> on how big how big they get it. But the fact is, you know, that's a very busy intersection. There's five roads come together, five streets, and it's a very very busy intersection. Right. Where are the cars? Where are the cars going to funnel into? Uh, yeah, and it's not like Waukesha doesn't have enough traffic problems as it is. No, exactly. thanks for the call, uh, Jeff. Here's a text. Same story in Oconomowoc. High end condos and apartments. Um, it, it's well, I, I just I bring this up because I, I'm not anti development. I I'm not, and I'm certainly not anti business. I'm I'm not. At the same time, all throughout this area. We have people, we have, you know, villages, we have cities that I think have fallen in love with this idea of, okay, let's build, let's build, let's build. Let's give incentives, sometimes ridiculous incentives to these developers who are going to come in and they couldn't make the project work like up in Port Washington um, unless they had substantial government subsidies. And they're going to build all this stuff under the promise that if we build it, they will come. All right. Well, uh, let's. Don't you think that maybe, you know, you would say, all right, let, let's build this one apartment complex and let's see what happens. Let's see if they're able to fill that. Let's see if there's even enough demand for the 175-unit apartment complex before we say yes to a hundred and thir- another 137 apartment complex right right down the street. You, you would, wouldn't you think that you do that? But again, because the, these villages and the cities, they just get so enamored oh we got to get people in here and and people will come and this is going to completely revitalize it and if four or five years from now the thing goes belly up well okay it went belly up this is jeff wagner back for more here's wtmj's jeff wagner speaking of housing now for, we've talked about this repeatedly uh, for a number of months now. The city of Milwaukee, the county of Milwaukee, and Tony Evers' State Department of Transportation allowed a, a homeless camp to set up under the I-794 freeway overpass. And you had a number of 
well-intentioned, but I think very, very misguided homeless advocates who decided that the best way to deal with this was to enable the people. So here, let's bring out tents. Let's let's bring out food. Let's bring out clothing to, again, enable people to stay under the freeway overpass. Well, as well-intentioned as that might be, the truth of the matter is at some point in time that becomes counterproductive. And, And so what happened finally is the state of Wisconsin Department of Transportation issued an order saying, you know, you're trespassing, you have to leave. They gave them a get out date by October 31st. And you had a number of, you know, homeless agencies that, that went into gear and the, the, the homeless encampment moved from about 60 tents slash people down to where it is about now, 10 or 12 people. Um, what happened then is that the October 31st deadline came and it went because the state probably really wasn't ever serious ab- about this. So now you still have a, a limited number, a lot less than you had before, but you still have you know, 10, 12, 15 tents, people who are still living there. Of course, now it's it's cold. We're talking about single digits. It's snowing early. Part of the issue is, of course, that for a lot of people, that they, they, you know, they, they are they are homeless and they are looking for other places. And those are the folks that have largely been placed. My guess is that the people that you have left are the folks who just are going to be very, very difficult to place in any sort of permanent or semi-permanent housing. I mean, the shelters right now have space. But if you if you go into, for example, a shelter, you got to play by the rules of the shelter. You have to be in by eight. You can't drink. You can't use drugs. You can't fight. All those types of things. And I, I think some of the people that are left, they don't want to play by those rules. Well, in almost any sort of housing situation you're going to find, there are going to be rules. So I, you know, there's going to be a confrontation. I think at some point in time, by the the remaining people, sort of like those hardcore homeless folks. Because, like I say, I mean, there there are spaces like in shelters. They just don't want to go into these shelters. All right, don't want to talk about Milwaukee. I do want to talk about something that happened in an all of all places yesterday, Las Vegas. Like a number of cities, particularly in the West, Las Vegas has a huge problem with homelessness. Las Vegas's problem is perhaps amplified because you've got a community that is built on gambling. You have lots of people who you know, come into that area and then ultimately, whether it's for gambling problems or drug problems or whatever, find themselves out on the street. But but homelessness, the, the problem isn't just limited to Las Vegas. Um, Austin, Texas has a huge problem with it. Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, all all, all these big cities. In any event, what happened in Las Vegas yesterday is that they passed a law. The law affects downtown Las Vegas, if you've ever been there, is a different jurisdiction than, than the Strip. So the, this, what we're about to talk about, is downtown Las Vegas, which they have made a, a huge effort to try to revitalize. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of downtown Las Vegas, but I understand that some people love it. In any event... What happened yesterday is the city council passed a new ordinance, and the ordinance says it is illegal for people to sleep on the streets when there are spaces available at established shelters. So that that's the that's the hook. If there are spaces available at established shelters, 
it is illegal to spend the night on the street. Now, they had to do that because there's a federal court of appeals ruling that said it's unconstitutional to not let people sleep on the streets if there's nowhere else to go. So that's why th- this law is written in this way. All right. There has if there's spaces and shelters, you're right. Then it's illegal to sleep on the street. This is getting national attention. And the description is, this is terrible, this is the war on the homeless, this is the war on the poor. How dare you criminalize people um, for choosing to sleep on, on the streets? It's criminalizing homelessness, it's criminalizing poverty. The, the way the law works is, at least initially, officers are going to provide warnings for people found camping or, or sleeping on the street, and then they're going to, you know, direct them to shelters. If they don't go, starting January 1st, it's a misdemeanor punishable by up to six months in jail. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I find this to be fascinating. Should it be, should municipalities be able to say, you, you can't sleep on the streets, you can't sleep in public places if, if, the, there is space available at shelters. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I gotta tell you, I think this is reasonable. I, I think cities have a right to say, you know, our public sidewalks, our public parks, our public benches are not flop houses. And if there are places for people to go, you've gotta go there instead of staying on the street. I don't think that's an unreasonable position. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Michael in Milwaukee. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi. What do you think? Yeah, my thoughts on criminalizing, the make that a a misdemeanor. So in turn, they're going to put them in the county jail, which costs, x amount of dollars for every inmate out of uh tax money instead of living in a non a residential area really they're not harming anyone so would your response be if people want to sleep on sidewalks or sleep under overpasses um that we should just let them do it because they're not causing problems more or less instead we pay for it and incarcerate it and make it a criminal act. The majority of the homeless people suffer from mental illness, is my beliefs. Oh, I, I, I agree, which is, what, well, at least, I don't know about the majority, but it, it's why for the hardcore homeless, like in Milwaukee, the, the remaining like 10 or 12 people, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're going to do with them, because I, I don't think they're going to go. <laughs> you know, no. I, I, right, that, I told you. So you, you you put them in jail for a month or two, and you know you spend X amount of dollars. When it's different if a guy's sleeping on someone's backyard, or they're on your front porch, or they're you know on someone's property, but they're in an area that's non-residential. Well, but what about? I mean, for example, I I I think San Francisco is one of the great well, used to be one of the great cities in North America. But you, Skid Row. You, you, but yeah, right, exactly. It is it is Skid Row. You try to you try to walk down a, a street in the financial district, and yeah. you're, you're you're stepping over people. You and, can't go and into being business. harassed and being harassed, and you, you you can't get into businesses because people are like flopped in in the area. Yeah. I, I guess I mean, doesn't 
doesn't the city don't don't we have an, an interest in saying, hey, we, we got to we got to move people along. You can't just allow people to camp out on, on sidewalks. You I, know, totally, outside I totally agree with you. I just think to criminalize it is not helping them. OK, th- thanks. That, well, I agree. I mean, thanks. I mean, look, and I, I guess I, I I would imagine that that actually incarcerating people is probably the the last step but what they're trying to do is they're trying to force people into shelters and, and the uh, the I mean see the alternative I just don't think it's an acceptable alternative to say well you know it, it's no harm no foul sleep under the freeway overpass sleep on the sidewalk sleep you know in the doorways to these different businesses and all you know we're going to let you go do that I, I just I don't think that's acceptable either I mean I think you know, I think a, a community has a right to say, look, you know, we're we're not going to allow the streets to be overrun. We're not going to allow you to turn Wisconsin Avenue into a flop house, for example. I mean, we're just not going to let you do that. We're trying to redevelop these areas. And if you want to kill business development, if you want to kill shopping, well, and turn it into downtown San Francisco, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Bob in St. Francis. Hi, Bob. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, uh, just to let you know, I am a homeless person, and I live in my van. I am 63 years old, and I just started collecting early retirement last year, so I do have a little bit of money coming in. Um, I agree that uh, the homeless people should not be littered all over our sidewalks and and ruining our businesses and stuff like that. But there there is a population of homeless people out here that are just struggling uh, to, to get by. I'm trying to save for a new vehicle. I can't afford rent right now. Yep. So what I'm doing is I'm banking the money for rent. And in another 10 months, I'm hoping I'll be able to purchase a vehicle. And then, you know, now I start to look for a home. But as far as your answer, I, the criminalizing what you're talking about is absolutely not the answer. It would, it would help these individuals in January and February yeah. and March because they'd have somewhere warm yep. and some, and some, and some food. So, you know, I'm split. I'm split on this. But criminalizing uh, someone for being poor and homeless and mentally ill is not the answer either, Jeff. Oh, so tell me what you do. Okay, you let, let's let's take let's take the, the the people that are still under the underpass. Okay, it's it's winter is coming on. It's not a safe situation for them. Um, what 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 do you do if you say okay, well, we we've got space at the, the mission, we've got space at some of the shelters, and they say, well, we don't want to go. What do you do? I, I don't know what you do. Um, I, I don't have an answer set. All I know is I'm trying to give you perspective from these right. people, uh, and they don't have anywhere to go as far. And again, mental illness is yeah. absolutely involved. So uh, they may think they have nowhere to go, but there actually is. They don't have the the, the capacity to make a decision, right. is what it is. No, and I think thanks. Which again, that then raises brings into the question: If we agree that it's it's unsafe and arguably uncivilized to allow people to i don't know stay to to trespass and that's what it is it's trespassing you know to to be whether it's in the park or under an overpass when it's going to be like single digits outside and there are alternatives the question becomes how do we how do we force them into those various alternatives and to me this is just it's something it's another lever that you give the the police because i think we we do agree that what we're talking about now is we're talking about again the the hardcore 
folks. Now, I don't know the problems in Las Vegas, but my guess is it's the same. My guess is, you know, most people are looking for some form of housing. And, and most people, you know, if you find some sort of assistance, they're, they're able to do it. But the question becomes, what about that hardcore homeless, the people who don't want don't want to because for whatever reasons whether it's extreme you know problems with substance abuse whether it is mental illness whether it's a combination of all that if they won't go don't we have an obligation to kind of force them and isn't this at least one lever that you can use to do that and that would be my answer this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. All right. There is, we live in interesting times. And, of course, the, the, the issue from a national level that is just sucking all the air out of everything is the potential impeachment proceedings against President Trump for obstruction of justice. And, uh, you know, the bottom line, this is not a complicated sort of matter. Apparently, President Trump's on the phone with the president of the Ukraine, and he says, hey, I I want you to do me a favor. I I want you to investigate um, this this allegation of political corruption involving you know an opponent of President Trump's, and the it is now emerging that a lot of people were saying that uh, the president wasn't wasn't happy with Ukraine, and you know he wanted this investigation as a condition of releasing money for an aid for Ukraine. Ultimately. The money, the aid was released, and I don't think the investigation occurred. So that that's it. And in a nutshell, that's why you hear the phrase quid pro quo. And I was talking to somebody last night. It's really the idea of quid pro quo, there's something wrong. That's, that's in and of itself silly. And that's why I think that a lot of people are just completely and totally missing the boat on this because there's a quid pro quo for for everything you know that that's the whole idea with negotiations and when it comes to foreign policy and foreign aid there's constantly quid pro quos you say to mexico you want uh you want us to give you you know millions hundreds of millions of dollars in aid or assistance well okay what we want is you to tighten up on your immigration policies that 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 happens all the time you say to china you want us to be more lenient in i don't know allowing your goods to come into this country well what we want in exchange for that is whatever it, so a quid pro quo in and of itself is not it's not unusual it happens all the time the question i guess and this is where it just breaks down upon party lines is you know what was president trump's intent how do you prove the intent and is it an impeachable offense if as part of his quote unquote quid pro quo he wanted an investigation of political opponents who may or may not have been engaged in criminal activity all right and that that's why impeachment becomes a political sort of matter and as i've said before 
I, I think the way this whole thing plays out, and I understand it's frustrating to some people who just think, oh, President Trump's a crook and needs to be removed. I continue to believe that this is going to be decided by the electorate a year from last Tuesday. That That's when this is ultimately going to you know, end up happening, and that's when this is all going to be decided a year from Tuesday, because I think... Is it possible that the Democrats on a party line vote will impeach him in the House of Cur- in the um, in the House? Yes. Um, what's going to happen then? He's going to be he's not going to be convicted in the Senate, and then you know we're going to move on to the election. There are other issues though that are floating around that perhaps aren't getting as much attention as they deserve. President Trump is the only president since Richard Nixon who has, for whatever reason, made the decision that he's not going to turn over his tax returns. All right, most, all presidents and and most presidential candidates make their tax returns public. The idea being, you know, we we want the public to be able to see, you know, what our finances are and make sure there's no conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera. President Trump refused to do that. It became an issue in the 2016 campaign. He won anyways. President Trump says he's under audit and he uses that as a reason why he's not disclosing them. That is a to borrow the phrase uh, from our governor, Tony Evers, that's a BS excuse. Uh, you, you, the fact that you're under audit doesn't mean that you couldn't disclose whatever you want. He's not disclosing them because he doesn't want to disclose them. And the law doesn't require him to disclose them. But here's the deal. There are a couple criminal investigations that are are going on in connection with the activities of President Trump. Now, I firmly believe that many of these criminal investigations really are the, the ultimate example of witch hunts. They're, they're trying to determine, were, was there a campaign finance violation done in connection with the the money that was paid to that Stormy Daniels a while back? You know, all, all that type of stuff. But there have been subpoenas issued by prosecutors to accounting firms that have access to President Trump's tax returns. I mean, it's not just him that has the tax returns. The accounting firms have them as well. So far, courts have said you have to turn these tax returns over to the prosecutors who are investigating alleged criminal activity. The Trumps have argued these are witch hunts, number one. But number two, what happens here is a president is immune from prosecution for various offenses while they are serving in office. So the prosecutors, because they can't, they can't prosecute him for offenses, because they're not allowed to do that, they shouldn't be able to get access to the tax returns. So far, courts have not bought that argument, but it appears the matter is going to be headed to the United States Supreme Court. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should President Trump, and and see, this isn't even subpoenas directed at President Trump, but should prosecutors be able to get access to the president's tax returns to potentially further their investigation? Or is President Trump simply immune from that? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And at the risk of angering some of you on the other side, my initial take on this is I, I think the accounting firm has to give up has to give up the tax returns. And I think the prosecutors, 
I think they have every right to look at them. The fact that they are not conducting, and they might, even if at the end of the day, they're not able to issue charges until the president leaves office, if there are charges to be issued, I don't think that means that they can't investigate. And even if it is a witch hunt and it might be political, I think they have a right to get the tax returns. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should prosecutors be able to get Trump's tax returns? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Number of texts, Jeff, is the Supreme Court obligated to take up Trump's tax return case? No, they are not, but I suspect they will. Jeff, I'm for Trump, but he should just open them up. Why cause all this controversy? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tony in Waukesha. Tony, you're first. Hello. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Tony. I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I guess, Jeff, I'm getting a little tired of politicians abusing their the power of their office to go in search of crimes. I think we saw it here in Milwaukee County. Yep. When the right, DA that, that, went after Republicans. Right. I think we've seen it in the FISA court ap- applications. And and we, I think we see it in the Southern District of New York. And and I think it's un-American, and I'm tired of it. Uh, our society isn't supposed to be built on the idea that you go after subpoena power and then search for a crime to go after somebody. Well, I guess That's- the question and, – and- by the way, Tony, I, I agree with what you said up to a point. I guess the question becomes, if, if I'm, in this case, it's the Manhattan DA, if I'm an elected district attorney investigating what I perceive to be criminal activity, shouldn't I have a right to issue subpoenas to whoever I want to issue them to? And if my constituents think that I've gone overboard or gone too far, well, they can vote me out next time I'm up for election. Well, well, I guess... I guess my confidence has been shattered. Yeah. I've seen this happen so many times in the last few years. Yep. I have no confidence in public officials that they're not abusing the power of their office. Yep. And I would say no. We don't want to let you take someone's personal rights and then vote you out of office after you do it. I don't want you to do it. Right. If you don't, and, and I don't trust people to tell me they have a, a good reason you know, to go after a crime. I don't trust officials anymore to do that because they've violated that privilege okay so let's say the um okay let's say there's another sort of investigation i'm investigating i don't know the the head of a company for embezzlement and tax fraud or bank fraud or, or whatever um should should i have a right to subpoena subpoena that person's records well i, I guess i would ask you jeff after everything that's happened with, it, with uh, Milwaukee County mm-hmm. DA and all these other instances, are you confident that our legal system is is protecting people's rights in this regard? Are you confident that people's rights aren't being abused? Well, no, I'm, I think so. I, I'm not. I think it, it, it comes on a case-by-case sort of basis, and, and I think that there are always going to be examples, and this is nothing new. There, there's all, And thanks for the call, by the way. I appreciate it. It's very thoughtful. Um, there have always been examples of of prosecutors 
who engage in misconduct, who put blinders on, who are politically motivated or, or whatever in pursuing matters. And there are remedies for that. You know, if you have an investigation that turns into the witch hunt, you can complain to, you know, the, the State Bar Association, for example, and, and try to have that prosecutor disciplined or removed if you, if you feel somebody's violated rules of ethics or the law themselves. So there are mechanisms to stop it. And I'm not going to be, I certainly not going to stand here and, and argue that, you know, every time a prosecutor undertakes an investigation that it's not politically motivated because there are examples of, of certainly to the contrary of that. At the same time, I, I don't think that the targets of the investigations can pick and choose what sort of information they're going to turn over and what sort of information they're not going to turn over. 414-799-1620, Adam in Brookfield. Hi, Adam. Yeah, I, I've kind of changed my angle on this. If, their motiva- if the accuser's motivation were based on transparency, I, I would think, great, have them do it. But they're doing it because they hate him. They hate him because he took the election away from the anointed one. And I'm, I voted for him last time around, and I'm voting for him in 2020, and I think he's going to win again. I don't know what's going to happen to the country if he wins. But I, I don't think now he should do it because they're just doing it because they can't stand him to do anything to get him out of office. Mm-hmm. Hit that button. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what word he just said there, but um, I'm not sure if he quoted if he quoted Governor Evers or not. But we're gonna we're gonna hit that button um, because well, if he did, we're gonna take him off there. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. We'll be back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. You know, one of the other interesting things about this case, some people are saying, oh, could, this could cause a, a constitutional crisis. And the answer is it's it, the answer is probably no, because of this. Back in the 70s, you will recall with Richard Nixon, there were the White House tapes and you had the special prosecutor who had subpoenaed the tapes. And Nixon had argued that he, he was a separate that you know that there was executive privilege and that he was immune and that he could not be required to turn over the tapes that case went up to the supreme court the supreme court ruled against him and we we were in those same sort of times because there was all this speculation back then as to whether the president would comply with the order from the supreme court you know what if instead of they told him he had to you know turn over the tapes he just took them out to the white house lawn and lit them on fire you know, what, what would have happened then? Now, ultimately, he complied. As soon as these things became public, um, he, he ended up, you know, losing any sort of support and then resigned rather than be impeached and convicted in the, in the Senate. But those subpoenas were directed at, at him directly. There's, what's different about this case is the subpoenas the prosecutors have issued aren't directed at President Trump. They're directed at the accounting firm that has copies of, of, of this, the, the Trump accountants. So President Trump, he's not directly being asked to give up the documents. It's the, it's the accounting firm that are being asked to give up their records. And they've already said, look, ultimately, if the, the courts tell us that we have to do this, you know, we're going to do it. You know, President Trump might tell us no, but the records that we have in our possession, 
we're going to turn over. So this isn't going to be that type of potential constitutional crisis. This won't be one where the president's saying, I'm not turning over my records because they're not asking for the records that are in the possession of the president. They're asking for the records that are in the possession of a third party. And the third party has already said, look, we, we you know, we're, we'll do whatever the courts tell us to do. And if ultimately this case goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court says, hey, you got to turn over these records, we're turning over the records. So President Trump, while he can oppose it, he won't be able to refuse to allow this to happen because he's not being asked to comply. So in that regard, this is a little bit different, just just a little bit different. Well, it's actually a lot different than what happened during the Watergate years. You know, speaking about politics, and we're going to be non-political in the last half hour of the show, but there there is an interesting piece in today's Journal Sentinel that makes a point that I have been trying to make for for months now. A lot of people are confident that they know how the election is going to turn out a year from now. They're they're just positive they know, to which I say, okay, you might think you know, but again, a lot of this is going to depend on a number of different things, including what happens with the economy, what uh, who the candidate is that the Democrats nominate, all these various things. But some people look at the national polls and they say, oh, President Trump is polling at 42%. That means he's, he's really underwater. Um, there's no way he wins. And I will say this. If you think like that, your analysis is just wrong because we don't elect presidents on popular vote. We elect presidents based on the electoral college. So what you have to do is you have to look at, all right, where is Trump in the states, you know, the individual states that he needs to win? And as we talked about extensively a couple days ago, if you look at Pennsylvania, if you look at Florida, if you look at North Carolina, if you look at Wisconsin, if you look at Michigan, you see a very, very competitive race between President Trump and some of the potential Democrat candidates. So, yeah, it's true that overall he might have a 42% approval rating, which which isn't good, but it doesn't matter, like I say, if he loses New York State by 3,000 votes or he loses California by 5 million votes or New York State by 3 million. That doesn't matter because, you know, all you need to do is lose that state by, by one vote and your opponent gets the Electoral College delegates. You have to look at it state by state. And in the states that President Trump needs to win, arguably run the table on, but in the states that he needs to win, it is a very, very competitive race. Does that mean he's going to win a year from Tuesday, last Tuesday? No. But does it mean for sure that you can say he's going to lose? Can't say that either. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, the the new insult that is out there is apparently if there's somebody who is older, if they're part of the baby boomer generation, us boomers, the the new put-down for somebody who's a millennial or a Gen X, whenever whenever they they don't like something that one of the boomers is saying, is just say, okay, boomer. That's that's the thing now, okay, boomer, and it's supposed to be funny and it's supposed to kind of end the conversation. All right, that's all right. So here's the deal now. The Gen Xers, I'm looking at this fascinating story that is in USA Today, and the, the Gen Xers and the millennials are, you know, they're, they're complaining about 
about baby boomers. But it's not baby boomers telling them what to say. It's not baby boomers lumping them in and you know talking about how they're you know entitled and whiny and participation trophies. No, th- this is this is Gen Xers and Millennials complaining because baby boomers are working too long. Um, Here's the way the story starts. There's a multi-generational traffic jam on the upper rungs of America's career ladder. As more baby boomers put off retirement, millennials and Gen Xers are finding it harder to move up into middle and higher level jobs, according to this this survey that USA Today just did. Partly as a result, many younger workers are job hopping as they seek bigger titles and higher pay. This is the first time ever that five different generations are America's workforce at the same time, from the Gen Zers up to the baby boomers. And they're talking about how this is growing pains. But you have a, a number of these younger people who are complaining, in essence, that the, the, the boomers, the folks who are you know, in their 50s and 60s, instead of getting out of the way and, and retiring and enjoying their life, what, what they're doing is they're staying in their jobs. And so as a result, the younger people are blocked because, hey, you're working for this guy um, who's like the mid-level manager, but he, he's not leaving. And you know, we're hoping he was going to leave at the age of 57. Now he's going to stay till he's going to be like 65. And, and that means that that job isn't going to free up. And so you've got the gen, you got the kids, the younger people, are saying, hey, boomer, you know, get out of the, the way. It, it's our turn you, you know, you're, you're working too long. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I find this to be an intriguing and a sort of an interesting argument, and I'm genuinely curious as to what you think. Is there a point where you think people, I don't know, the, the baby boomers, do they have an obligation to kind of get out of, of the way instead of deciding, you know, I, I like my job, I like what I'm doing, I like the people who I'm doing it with, I'm still productive, my boss is happy, I'm going to stay as long as I can. Is that unfair to younger people? Because when you're in, in that job, you're taking their spot. Is it a legitimate concern that, gosh, you know, these, these people ahead of me, they're staying longer. They should just get out of the way. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it does, if this kind of sounds like the workplace equivalent of, here, we're going to we're gonna take the elders and we're going to put them on the iceberg and we're just going to float them out to sea. If that sounds like that to you, well, it kind of sounds like that to me. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But, I mean, is that a valid, is it a valid point to say, all right, I, I've got student loans, I want to get on with my life, I, I want to work hard, I want to do all these things that I'm told that, you know, millennials or Gen Xers or whatever don't want to do, but the problem is I'm locked in because there's an older guy who's not get or gal, who's not getting out of the way. All right, this is going to be an interesting conversation, I guarantee it. Let's start with Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jeff. And by the way, thank you for uh, uh, emceeing that event on Saturday evening. Oh, that Operation Honor! What a good, what a fun event! I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, you look pretty spiffy, by the way. <laughs> thank you. I, I had thank, I, I had to go to another event right after that as well. So good. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. 
here's what I think. Jeff, I retired after 29 years in law enforcement to take in another area of the country uh, to take a position with a large corporation here in southeastern uh, Wisconsin. Uh, And I don't know if if, if these companies are working collectively with other age groups, but I saw a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, my age and, and uh, uh, being what appeared to be being ushered to the door mm-hmm. uh, to, to make room. Well, you yeah, see that it's interesting you say that because, you know, as part of, you know, when we when we went through the particularly the worst of the recession, like 10 years ago, I don't think there's any argument that the group it hit hardest on was the upper 40s, 50 ish mid-level managers and you know they lost their jobs and a lot of those people haven't been able to replace those jobs and you know they'll tell you a lot of it's ageism you know you you walk in you apply for a job you're 60 some years old and they look at you and say well you know we know it's illegal to discriminate based on age but we're going to go with the 30 year old instead of the 60 year old yeah some of these people some of these people have dedicated their entire lives to this company uh and and it just yeah, it didn't. It didn't impact on me because I chose right. to retire. But it, but it certainly did impact on some of them. No, no, thank, thanks, Scott. You see, and actually, that for for people, and that that's a, that leads to a very, very good point because for people who are complaining about older workers staying in the workforce too long, one of the reasons for a lot of folks is that again, ten years ago, lots of mid level managers, a lot of those jobs went away. You know, jobs that people had counted on and said, okay, I hope I'm going to be able to work till I'm 60 or 65 or whatever. They lost their jobs in their 40s and 50s, and they lost their income. And maybe they had to deplete their retirement savings. I mean, I can remember when we would do shows when unemployment was, you know, 8, 9, 10%. You know, we'd get calls from people who, you know, had been unemployed for a couple of years, who had been aggressively looking for jobs and couldn't find anything in their fields, who had blown through a huge chunk of their retirement savings. Well, I think one of the reasons that there are people who are perhaps working longer than they might otherwise have intended is because they, they got just put so far behind financially a decade ago that they're they're playing catch up now. 414-799-1620. We continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, um, Troy in Sturgeon Bay. Hi, Troy. Hey, how's it going today? Real well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, uh, I just retired like four or five months ago, and I, I've talked to a lot of people that are in my age group, and, and I'm not saying this is 100%, but for a lot of people, it boils down to just saving a job for health benefits. Mm-hmm. And I think that circles back around to can we get our politicians to come up with something that is affordable? And, you know, and, yeah. and they just struggle with that issue. And, no, you know, I, I have a I have a, a friend who is, I, I think, probably ready to retire. But it's exactly that. I mean, it's kind of counting the days to, OK, when, when are you eligible for Medicare? <laughs> you know, that's, right. That, right, right. Because because, yeah, yeah, you could go the COBRA route, but that's really, really expensive. And they just as soon not have to go onto the insurance exchanges they they just they want to work until they're eligible for medicare and then i suspect the day that hits is the day they give their notice yep and i i know for my case i'm going to have to buy some insurance but uh you know what um i I think it was time for me to give my job up to someone younger and i feel good about that yeah but i just wish our country 
to get their act together. And, you know, as you can tell, it kind of gets, gets the blood flowing here a little bit, but it's, it's just one, one policy after another. They just, we don't come up with anything that, that right. fits, fits the majority. And, and this next politician race that's coming on, it's going to be a big issue, but I don't think either side's hitting it right yet. So. No, I, I think so. I, right. I mean, it, it's, I mean, I understand like the, but we're, we'll talk about Medicare for all at some different point. But yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think that that is a factor. I mean, one of the reasons, you know, people stay longer in jobs, maybe they're ready to retire, but it is, it's the healthcare thing. They don't want to fool around with the exchanges. They don't want to pay for COBRA. So they hang out. Greg in Milwaukee. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Greg. Uh, Speaking for myself, uh, I uh, am on Social Security and just barely scraped by, and I wish somebody would complain that I am uh, gainfully employed. <laughs> Speaking right. for my ex-wife, she says she's going to work till she dies because she cannot afford to retire. Right. If if the young folks want her to move aside, uh, everybody get together and... Uh, Figure figure that out. Right. Yeah. No, figure. I mean, I think I mean, thanks. I mean, I think there's a I mean, that's a reality, too. Now, there's all sorts of things that go into it. But, you know, one of the things, like I was saying earlier, is, you know, 10 years ago when we were going through the recession, lots of people lost their jobs and it took a long time for them to get those jobs back. And these are people in their 40s and 50s, and they, they blew through a lot of the retirement savings, so they're playing catch up with that. That's that's just the reality of, of what's out there. And, I, I mean, look, I, I appreciate the frustration if you feel that you're blocked, but the bottom line of this um, – but the bottom line of this is that uh, you gotta got to deal with it. Randy in Greendale. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Randy. I, uh, I, let me just uh, say this real quick, that uh, I listen to you most days, love your show, and I, I had the good fortune of shaking your hand at State Fair Park this summer. Oh, I'm so glad you came out. Thank you for <laughs> listening. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. I'm 63 years old, and uh, I've... I'm a, a private chef for a assisted living facility of 12 residents, and I get up at 5 o'clock every morning. I love what I'm doing. Uh, do I feel guilty uh, about taking the younger generation's job? A little bit, but... Um, but you love what you Navy, do, and you're not ready to give it up. I'm a Navy veteran. I cooked in the Navy for six hmm. years, and I, I love what I do, and I'm making some people happy. So there's a different angle on this. Well, right. And, and hopefully what's happening is, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, whether you work with folks, but I, I think for a lot of for a lot of the baby boomers, us baby boomers, you know, yes. maybe you're working with some younger people and maybe maybe you're teaching them some things. Maybe they're learning I some am. things from you from you. So at some point in time, you're going to pull the plug and, and then maybe they'll be better equipped to take over your job or some other job. It, it's just it, it's just it's kind of what happens sometimes. You know, you can't force people I out. I don't think people should feel guilty about wanting to stay as long as they're productive. I am helping younger people out, and that's another uh, rewarding part of getting up every day and doing this. I, exactly, right? Thanks. And, and you know, I, I think we all know. Now, look, I, I understand there's some people who don't have that option, and like one of our callers, Greg, he said, oh, we, don't, we, get, we just have to work till we die because we, you know, we, we can't live on that, that stuff. But I think for a lot of people who have the option, you know when the right time comes. But at the same time, if, if you've got some 30-year-old who feels bad because they feel blocked, you know, too bad, but, you know, they'll – they will be that 60-year-old person someday that has the 30-year-old that's trying to push them, you know, out on the iceberg. Uh, Joe in Illinois. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Joe. Um, I just wanted to point out that 
some of the um, uh, boomers, like my husband who's 55, would love to retire, you know, fairly right. soon, but he's paying to put four kids through college. And with the high cost of education, <laughs> right. the millennials that are being educated on right. their parents' dime, the parents have to keep working in order to make that happen. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> right. That's, that's the, right. That, that, that's the whole idea. It's, it's kind of like you, your, your husband would love to pull the plug and kind of take it easy, but unfortunately he's got some uh, Gen Zers there that he's got to get the money through for, huh? Exactly. So yeah. I just want to say they shouldn't complain too much if their parents are making the sacrifice to get them the education to get those jobs. Well, well right, exactly. And, you know, what, what's going to happen? Mom and dad lose their, their jobs. They lose their house. They're going to have to move in with the millennials. And I don't think they're going to be happy about that. You know? <laughs> or we'll be eating cat food. That's what I always tell them. They're being educated so they can keep us off the cat food. There, there you go. Thanks, Nicole. That's right. You don't feel bad about collecting that IOU. Rick in Muskego. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Rick. Um, one thing, I, I, the uh, millennials, I think, are just being uh, very short-sighted. The problem we're going to have in the future is we're not going to have enough workers to support the retirement costs of the boomers and older Gen Xers who right. do retire. And the sooner you push them out of the workforce, the sooner that problem's going to start coming to realization. So, right. um, you know, yeah. be careful what they wish for because their tax rate <laughs> yeah. go up exponentially or, you know, that or you're yeah. have, um, generation warfare coming back from the other direction. Well, well, yeah, you know, and, and, and that's just an outstanding point when you, you know, one, one of the, the financial train wrecks that we're looking at is, for example, Social Security and things like that. The more people retire and start collecting sooner and sooner, that means the fewer people there are that are going to be paying into this system. So you're exactly right. Be careful what you wish for. Right. And, and, and more so than Social Security, it's Medicaid that's probably going to be the bigger problem. Social Security, a lot of people are planning for not being there, but Medicare for health insurance, you know, that's that's the reason a lot of your previous callers said they're still working is for, for insurance. So right. once you become eligible for it, you, you, you know, that they're going to cut the right. plug and go. But if that goes away, then we're really going to have problems. Well, it is. And you think, thanks for what, you know, you raise another interesting point as well, because, I mean, we right now for certain jobs, they can't fill the jobs. I mean, that's, I mean, you talk to people who run uh, jobs in the trades, you know, plumbing, HVAC, that type of stuff. And, and they will tell you almost to a person that their biggest problem is they can't convince the, the younger people to come and, you know, do this particular job or do that particular job. And that, I mean, re- really seriously, you push some people out the door and, and who's, who's going to be the guy that, you know, installs the, the furnace when your furnace goes out in, in January? Who's going to be the guy that works on the air conditioning? Who's going to be the guy that fixes the roof? All those types of things, you know, so I guess the, the bottom line is I, I, I thought this story was interesting and I'm sure it's someone, I'm sure every generation has always felt that, well, you know, who's that old guy in the corner office? Why doesn't he retire so I can move into the corner office? I'm sure every generation has felt that. I don't know if it's any worse or any better now. Bottom line is the dynamics of American life are that I, I think people, because we're healthier, that's a good thing. Um, and in some cases, because of the finances, people are going to be working longer. And if you're not happy with that, well, what's Wagner's rule of life number one? Oh, yeah, life is tough. Get a helmet. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure on has on his mind. Please stick around.